your reality is spiritual. His truth is his truth. And if we can align with God's reality, we will finally be living by reality. So we have been teaching. Now, we don't really focus on the adversary here. We focus on God and watch our adversary fall automatically. But we've been teaching on the attack against us and what the Word of God says about that. We've been looking at strongholds, okay? And how, in fact, let's just start with the scripture. You're going to remember this one. We taught from it recently. And it's uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 3. And here it says, you'll remember this, for though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh, right? How many know that, that our battle is not in the flesh. It's not in our physical circumstances. And it goes on and says, for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. Remember, those strongholds are the battle in the soul. The, the, the seat of your soul is your mind. It's the philosophies you operate by, the aspirations you have, the way you believe it works. And you know that in our post-scientific culture and everything, we have grounded in thinking about how it works, right? But it is not aligning with the knowledge of God, how it works in the Spirit. We've been doing that for a month and a half, pretty much, I think, so we're not going to beat that anymore. But what I want you to see is, see, what we're going to do this morning is we're going to talk about worship, and I'm going to show you how worship is actually in the Scripture. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but what? Mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, okay? Casting down arguments, that's the philosophy. And the high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, right? We've been talking about this. We exalt the message, but the high things are the things that we exalt in the place of the knowledge of God. Now, it's ironic for me to stand up here and talk about worship. If you'd have told me even probably two weeks ago that I was going to give sermons on worship, I would have been like, yeah, right, until God asked me to do it. Because I, I can't even, I'm like, I can't even tap my foot in rhythm. I'm like, I much less make like an, a joyful noise from my mouth. I, you know, I give it my best, but there's powerful things that he wants us to see. And in fact, I want this to be clear enough. I'm going to give you the answer before we even look at it in the Word of God, because I just want you to have the answer already. Worship, when it says weapons of our warfare, okay, what? For the pulling down of strongholds. In other words, having victory in the Spirit, the pulling down of strongholds. I'm going to tell you, here's the answer. Worship is the mightiest weapon in your arsenal for the pulling down of strongholds. That's not only one of the weapons being mentioned here. I'm going to tell you in the Word of God, it is the mightiest weapon in your arsenal. That's what we're going to look at. Now, I told you the answer. Now, it's powerful to look at it. So, to do that, go with me to Second Chronicles. So I had two wise women this week actually bring to me, inspired by the Spirit, bring to me the scriptures that are in the sermon this week. And then I couldn't ignore it. God wouldn't let me go. Second Chronicles 29 and verse 27. I'm going to tell you quickly, this is during the time of King Hezekiah. And what they had done is they had defiled worship in the temple. And King Hezekiah is in the process of reestablishing worship as it should be. 
in the temple. Now, where's the temple now? You are. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. So this story is about you. Okay? And it says in verse 27, Then Hezekiah commanded them to offer the burnt offerings on the altar. And when the burnt offer, listen, when the burnt offering began, the song of the Lord also began with the trumpets and with the instruments of David, king of Israel. You can keep your finger there. We're going to read the next verse here. But I want you to see, when the sacrifice began, when the burnt offering began, so too the song began. Now listen, at this time, that would have been an event, right? They would have started the burnt offering and they would have started the appointed singers to sing. And then when the offering was done, in other words, the aroma, the, the smoke of the aroma from the offering going into the throne room of heaven, keeping them in his favor, in his blessing, giving them the victory, okay, that aroma, when that would stop, then the song could stop too. Now, you understand, we live in a time where the work of Jesus Christ over you is finished. He said it's finished. The aroma of Jesus Christ over your life that gives you the victory is continuous and evermore for all of eternity. Okay, if that's not true for your life, if you haven't given your life to Christ, then that wouldn't be true in your life and you're in deep trouble. But for those of us that are in Christ, that aroma of the burning of the sacrifice is is seated at the right hand of the Father, interceding for you continuously for eternity. Yes? So in other words, what does that say? When we see this verse that tells us that the song, the song of worship is also continual. See, this verse continues on and, and goes on and says, so all the assembly worshiped, The singers sang and the trumpets sounded. And listen, and this continued until the burnt offering was finished. Now, I don't know about you, but the work of Jesus Christ, the aroma of his work that covers me must never be finished, must never end, or I'm in deep trouble. Okay, so the song is continual. Okay, now that's just our introduction. Now we're going to jump, okay? Go with me to 2 Chronicles chapter 20. I want to start right in verse 1. And I'm going to give you a narrative. Okay, this is a story in the people Israel that I promise you you're going to leave today with a more powerful understanding of worship as your mightiest weapon for warfare. And so here's the situation. The scripture sets the context for us. It says, it happened After this, that the people of Moab with the people of Ammon and others with them besides the Ammonites came to battle against Jehoshaphat. Okay, he's the king of Judah. He's the king of Israel. In other words, what we're reading here is that the enemies, those who were allowed to remain in the land. Now, that's a whole teaching we can't get into. When they conquered the land, some peoples could remain. Adversaries, enemies, because of mistakes they made, things that happened. Okay? They are mounting up against. Now you can see how this fits our our ongoing study here. These are adversaries that don't want them to have their destiny in the land. Ring a bell? They're getting ready to attack them. So this is a dark place for them. Okay, it goes on and says, Then some came and told Jehoshaphat, saying, A great multitude is coming against you from beyond the sea from Syria, and they are in Hazazan Tamar, which is in Gedi. 
That's a whole teaching. And Jehoshaphat feared. Okay, listen, that's our context. This is in the struggle, in the dark place is our context. Now listen what he does. I'm going to do this quickly, but I know you can do this part quickly with me. In verse 5, the king, Jehoshaphat, is going to begin declaring things about God because he's one who knows God. You see, he can do that because he knows the nature of their God. So listen what he says. Actually, I've skipped a little bit. Don't go to five. Go back and through. We're in three. Jehoshaphat feared, and it says, and set himself to seek the Lord. Now, I'm going to tell you something. The seeking of the Lord is not like an Easter egg hunt or like you lost your wallet. Okay, they're not going, where are you, Lord? That's not what they're doing. When you seek the Lord, it's the same thing as waiting on the Lord. You're looking for the reality of the Lord in your circumstances. That's seeking the Lord. It's the kind of faith where you're saying you're not just a God out there, you know, you know, just some mystical thing out there. You're asking for the reality of the nature of God, his power, his ability, his kindness, his mercy, his victory to be in your circumstances. Does anybody need that? Okay, that's what we're talking about when we say seek the Lord. So he fears and he knows to seek the Lord. And then it says, and he proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. I'm not even going to touch that, so I don't rabbit trail. And then in verse four, it says, so Judah gathered together to ask help from the Lord. And from all the cities of Judah, they came to seek the Lord, to seek his reality in their circumstances. Now I'm going to do what I said I was going to do. Verse five, Jehoshaphat begins to declare things. It says, he stood in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem in the house of the Lord before the new court and said, O Lord God of our fathers, are you not God in heaven? Now you see, he's having a conversation with God. He's declaring, these are rhetorical questions, right? Are you not God in heaven? And do you not rule over the kingdoms of the nations? And in your hand, is there not power and might? So that No one is able to withstand you. Are you not our God who drove out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and gave it to the descendants of Abraham, your friend, forever? And they dwelt in it and have built you a sanctuary in it for your name, saying, if disaster comes upon us. Now look, what's the disaster? It lists it right here. It can be sword. That's warfare. That's what they're facing. It can be judgment, pestilence, disease, illness, or famine. Attack against provision, right? And it says, we will stand before this temple in your presence and cry out to you in our affliction. Now, what happens next should catch your attention. So listen, he says, and you will hear and save. Okay, now you might go, well, that's kind of presumptuous. Is he going to stand there in front of God and say, I'm going to tell you what you're going to do, God? I want to tell you, it's not presumptuous. You can only do this if you know him. You see, this is what we've been teaching about. He's seen Israel's history. He has experience walking with God in these types of things. And so he, can't, he knows the nature of God. So he can say, you will hear and save. He can declare that back to God because he knows him. He knows that it's just the nature, 
right? The nature of God. This is leading back to worship, trust me. The weapon of our warfare. And then I'm going to start skipping a little bit. Go to verse 12 with me. And here it says, Oh, our God, will you not judge them? Okay, another rhetorical question. He knows the answer. He knows God's going to judge them. The enemies of the chosen people. Do you understand that's what we're talking about? You are the chosen people (laughs) in this story. You can sit there and say, my adversaries will be judged. Right? You can say that. You are the chosen people. Now listen, here's why we're reading this. Just next, it says, for we have, this is his heart, okay? He's being transparent and real before God. And he says, for we have no power against this great multitude that is coming against us. Nor do we know what to do, but our eyes are upon you. What did he say? He said, I got nothing and I'm clueless. And my eyes are on you. This is worship. You just read the spirit of worship. I've got nothing and I'm clueless, but I know that if I keep my eyes on you, if I am properly in worship, just like last week when we finished up the last temptation of Jesus, when he wins the war at the place of worship, when he says you shall worship the Lord your God only, that's the only thing that guides you. That's the only thing that motivates you. It's the only to place that you send things. When that's aligned, the enemy must flee. Do you remember this? Okay, okay. That's what we're seeing here. Our eyes are upon you. You see, we've looked at a scripture last week that said, submit to him and he will exalt you. That's what we just read. I got nothing and I'm clueless, but I know where to put my eyes. Now look, look with me. Here's what happens next. All this is going on, what? Because he feared, because they're in a dark place, the enemy's about to annihilate them. And what happens next is the Spirit of God comes upon their prophets to confirm what Jehoshaphat has declared is true of the God that he knows. Okay, so here here it says in verse 14, it says, Then the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jehaziel, The Spirit of the Lord came upon Jehaziel. Now I'm going to skip that that wordy stuff to verse 15, and it says, And he said, so here's, here's the word of the Lord, Listen, all you of Judah and you inhabitants of Jerusalem and you, King Jehoshaphat. Here it is. Thus says the Lord to you. Now you've got to soak in these words, okay? Just let these words soak into you. Do not be afraid nor dismayed because of this great multitude. For the battle is not yours, but God's. Now, I don't know about you, but I want to be in such a place of victory that the battles are not even mine. Okay? I'm not good. I'm a little guy. I'm wimpy. (laughs) I don't want to fight battles. I want the battles to be the Lord's. Now, look, it gets even better. In verse 16, it says, Tomorrow, go down against them. Still the words of the prophet. And it says, they will surely come up by the ascent of Ziz and you will find them at the end of the brook before the wilderness of Jeruel. Now listen, here it is. You do not need to fight in this battle. Position yourselves, stand still, and see the salvation of the Lord. Now, did you hear it there? The Lord gave him a battle plan. Did you hear the battle plan? Stand still. How's that for a battle plan? 
(laughs) The enemy's gathering up. They're coming upon you. And can you just see them there? They've come up to the front line and they're standing there. And the the word of the prophet is coming and saying, stand still. (sighs) Right? That's, That's a faith. That's a victory in faith. They are to stand still. It's not even their battle. Stand still. Who? Stand still. Stand still and what? Stand still and watch me. That's what God says. Stand still and watch me. (laughs) That's your victory. Work hard? No. Try harder? No. Stand still and watch me. You see, that only comes, we're going to see in a minute that this is grounded in the weapon of your warfare. We really are getting there. Worship is the weapon of the warfare that releases this power on their behalf. Stand still. Just stand still and watch me win the battle for you. And see the salvation of the Lord. See the victory. You see, they sought him. They wanted him in reality, his power, his ability, (laughs) in their dark circumstance. That's what they sought. And they got it. The word of the prophet says, Stand still. It's not even your battle. It's mine. Okay, now look with me. It goes on and says, See the salvation of the Lord who is with you, O Judah and Jerusalem. Do not fear or be dismayed. Tomorrow go out against them, for the Lord is with you. You need nothing else, right? Now let me show you. Now this is the whole reason we're doing this. I want to show you the coolest thing in the world. The weapon of your warfare. Our weapons are not carnal, but they're mighty for the bringing down of strongholds. They win our battle in the spirit. The enemy must flee. It will never make sense to our natural mind why when we're already in the dark place, we're already facing an adversary. We don't have God's victory yet, and we worship anyway. We worship despite it that it moves the spirit on our behalf. It changes the war in the spirit so that God says, it's not even your battle anymore. Okay, we're going to see this. Look at verse 18 with me. Here it says, And Jehoshaphat bowed his head with his face to the ground, and all Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem bowed before the Lord. Okay, are you hearing worship? Why do we do these silly things as weird Christians? We raise our hands or dance in the aisle when we're about to lose it. Or sing even when you can't sing like me. You'll never hear my microphone on during the worship time, but I'm singing. (laughs) Why do we do that? You see, it's worship. We declare in the physical what's true in our spirit and offer a, a sacrifice of praise because it changes the warfare in the spirit. Nothing changes the warfare in the spirit as powerfully as our worship to him. And it goes on and says, the inhabitants of Jerusalem also bowed before the Lord, worshiping the Lord. Then the Levites of the children of the Kohathites and of the children of the Korahites stood up to praise the Lord God of Israel with voices loud and high. Why do we do this? Why do we appoint people to lead us in worship? It's like music. Boy, Christians love their music. We know that it's powerful and mighty for the bringing down of strongholds, for victory over our adversary. Now look with me. This is where it really gets good. Has it been good already? Okay, good, because we haven't even done it yet. 
<laughs> Let's see. Go with me to verse 21. So here it is. He says, and when he had consulted with the people, this is the king, Jehoshaphat, when he'd consulted with the people, he appointed, that's anointed. You see, there's only one way they appointed. And I want you to know it works exactly the same way now that it did then. You see, in their culture, they would appoint captains over the army, you know, generals and positions for people. And that would be through anointing. Only the king would have the authority to appoint or anoint people into offices. So when it says appoint, it is telling us here that people were appointed for the purpose of this. So he appointed those who should sing to the Lord. You see, we do the same thing. It's, it's an office. It's, it's one of the most important weapons in our warfare against our adversary. And this isn't the only play. We're going to look at a little bit more of this next week, but there are many, many places where they appointed the musicians and the singers and the dancers because worship brings breakthrough. It calls out the victory from the throne room of God over your dark situation. And it says, they pointed those who should sing to the Lord and who should praise the beauty of his holiness. If I touch that right now, we'll be here like six more hours. So I'm, I'm just going to leave that alone, okay? And it says, as they went out before the army and were saying, so these are the appointed singers, listen, going first. They're going out before the army. Not the shield bearers or the spears or the tanks and the missiles and the, the nuclear shield and everything. The singers are going first in this dark moment. And they're saying, praise the Lord for his mercy endures forever. Now, we've been reading and looking at all of this this morning for these next two verses. Here it comes. Are you ready? Do you have your seatbelt on? In verse 22, it says, now, when they began to sing and to praise, the Lord set ambushes against the people of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, who had come out against Judah, and they were defeated. Did you hear that? When they began to, to sing and to praise, they didn't set ambushes. The Lord set the ambushes. Can I tell you something? This reminds me of Oh, how do I want to do this? Lord, help me. Um, I couldn't stop thinking about the Grinch. Okay, it just kept, you know, you know the Grinch. Because it's just loaded in this story. Do you see it? It's The Grinch has stolen everything they have. He's taken everything from them, right? And now he's standing up on the mountain all smug. Their adversary is up there looking down going, oh, I've done it to them now. I've defeated them. They're going to be totally destroyed over this. And they get into a ring and they begin to sing with joy and praise. And the Grinch is totally confused, right? He's up there going, what's that, what's that noise? Why are they praising? You see, he can't even understand the who's. Is it the, he can't even understand the who's would be in that dark place and praising. That doesn't make sense. Now, I'm going to tell you something that's also true about your enemy and his armies of angels against you. It's true. They cannot understand a creature that would be in the dark place 
and yet raise your voice and lift your hands in exultation of a good, kind, gracious Father with complete faith that in this dark place, I praise out because I know my God. I know where my victory is. You can make it as dark as you want to. You can come against me in every way you want, and I praise. Our enemy is confused. He cannot even comprehend a creature like you that exalts your God from the dark place. Amen? He cannot get that. He can have no victory. You see, when you win at the place of worship, your enemy must flee. That's why in the third temptation of Jesus, that's when the enemy leaves him. You see, he's getting rapid fire succession. One trial, a second trial, a third trial, and then the enemy must leave. Why? Because he illustrated all the way from the flesh to the soul, to the spirit. And when you win at the spirit, when you worship from the dark place, from the place where you're still in the trial, and you worship anyway, your enemy has to go. He's got nothing left against you. Man, that feels good. Um, Now I'm going to tell you what happens next. I don't have time to read it, but I want to tell you what happens next in the story. They begin to sing and to praise and stand still and watch God, right? And what happens next is the enemy, the adversaries, the groups, the who are they, the Ammonites and whoever, they get so confused, so confounded that they begin to slaughter each other until everybody's dead. The chosen people of God never had to lift a sword or block something with a shield. They were never even confronted with the original problem. Their praise and worship unleashed the power of heaven on their behalf so that their enemies were so confounded, they slaughtered each other until they were all dead. Can you imagine? That's how I want my battles fought. I don't know about you. <laughs> I wasn't kidding when I said I'm wimpy. I mean, that's, that's, I don't, that's the kind of battle I want to fight. Okay, I'm just going to close with a few thoughts here, okay? Actually, I want you to see one more thing. Um, See? (laughs) That's what we do here. (laughs) I thought I could skip it, and then, you know, it just doesn't happen. So go with me. Keep going. Let's see, too. Let's just start in 24. Here in 24, it says, So when Judah came to a place overlooking the wilderness, they looked toward the multitude And there were their dead bodies fallen on the earth. No one had escaped. Okay, there's the result. And it says, listen, when Jehoshaphat and his people came to take away their spoil, they found among them an abundance of valuables on the dead bodies and precious jewelry, which they stripped off for themselves, more than they could carry away. And they were three days gathering the spoil because there was so much. I just want you to see this. And they have permission. I know we've studied stories before where they were not to touch the spoil. That's not in this case. They have permission here. And I want you to see, when the battle is the Lord's instead of yours, there is spiritual spoil. So much you can't carry it. Yes, he loves you like that. (laughs) He plans for you to have so much spiritual spoil so much goodness that you can't even carry it all. I believe that. Do you believe that? 
I mean, I say that because I believe that. You know he's nuts about you. (laughs) Have I said that here before? He's totally crazy about you. (laughs) He has victory promised over you. The aroma of Jesus Christ is ever over you in the throne room. And thank God for it. Because we're in a mess if it's not, right? And then it says, let's go verse 27. And I really will wrap up this time, I promise. (laughs) It says, then they returned every man of Judah and Jerusalem with Jehoshaphat in front of them, to go back to Jerusalem with joy. So they go back with joy. What did they start with? Fear. And they're going back with joy. All of that unleashed from the throne room of God through the spiritual weapon of worship. Unleashed it all. Go back with joy. For the Lord had made them rejoice over their enemies. So they came to Jerusalem with stringed instruments and harps and trumpets to the house of the Lord and the fear of God. Where's the fear now? The fear of God was on all the kingdoms of those countries when they heard that the Lord had fought against the enemies of Israel. Not that Israel won when they heard that the the Lord had fought against the enemies. That's how it works in the spirit. You see, everything in the natural mind will be contrary to the knowledge of God. We will try to work out philosophies and ways and methods to have the victories that we need. And the victories are always going to come according to the knowledge of God. The strongholds for the Holy Spirit where the truth is in operation, which does not make sense to the natural mind. You see, when tanks and missiles and bombs are all being lined up against you and you're completely doomed, you, in the natural mind, you don't spend your time appointing singers. You start getting armor ready and building walls and training, <laughs> training fighters. They spent their time appointing singers because they knew according to the knowledge of God, the way you unlock the power of the throne room of heaven in your dark circumstances To change it is through worship. It's the most powerful weapon in your arsenal for the changing of dark circumstances. Amen? Okay. Thank you, God.